Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Now, he knows that down the line that the scribes and the Pharisees are going to make this accusation to him, which they did in Matthew 15.1. Matthew 15.1, where they said, then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. So this is very important to understand because the rabbis taught, and still do teach, that the tradition of the elders, what they call the oral law, the tradition of the elders, they teach that is the only correct interpretation of the law, of the Torah, the law, and the prophets. So the rabbis taught, and still do, that to violate the tradition of the elders is to destroy the Torah law and the prophets. And he knew he was gonna be accused of this, so he was telling his listeners right off the bat, don't think that I've come to destroy the law. So the Lord Jesus has stated that he didn't come to destroy the Torah law or the prophets. And then he goes on to just make this even clearer in verse 17 when he says that I didn't come to destroy but to fulfill. It's a very interesting word that he says here, the word fulfill. The word fulfill is the, the Greek word and it's an interesting word because it really means to complete. It means to finish. As a matter of fact, it's such an important word that we've already seen it without even knowing it, but we've actually seen this five times in Matthew so far. And so we saw it right away in Matthew 121, in the first chapter of Matthew 121, when it describes what happened, and then it says, now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, in Matthew 2.15, it says he was there until the death of Herod, the Lord was down there in Egypt, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, out of Egypt have I called my son. In chapter 2, verse 17, Matthew 2.17, it says, then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, when the, the death of the children. And then in Matthew 2.23, Matthew 2.23, talking about where he was raised in Nazareth. It says he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets who shall be called a Nazarene. And then in Matthew 4, 14, Matthew 4, 14, it says that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of Isaiah the prophet saying. So all of this fulfilled prophecy. And now he says in verse 17 that the Old Testament being full of prophecies and he came to fulfill he came to fulfill those prophecies. Each prophecy in the Old Testament, each prophecy 
can be looked at as a promise from God. Each prophecy is God saying, I promise you that. You might as well have that in front of each prophecy. Because every prophecy that God is making, he's saying, I promise you this will be fulfilled in the future. So all the Old Testament is full of prophecies. And what the Lord meant in verse 17 is that he came not to destroy the prophecies, as if to say, well, forget about it. God is not gonna keep all those promises. He's saying, no, 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 to the opposite. I came to wrap them up. I came to fulfill those promised prophecies. He didn't come to make void the promises. He came to make good the promises. So the prophets now, they prophesied, and that means that they told it's gonna happen in the future, and that was God's promise. And so this was what the law was. And so the law now serves two purposes, serves two purposes. One purpose of the law is that it shows man how far short he has come to making the grade. Basically, the law says to man, you failed. That's what it says. Here's the standard, here's the criteria, here's what you have to meet, and sorry, but you failed. So man looks at the law, if he's gonna look at the law properly, and he's gonna interpret the law correctly, not as the rabbis did, but if he's really gonna look at the law correctly, then he's gonna say, I just can't do it. I can't do it. And in that way, the law fulfills its purpose of leading man along, as it says in Galatians 3.24. Galatians 3.24 says, wherefore the law was, I, was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Not justified by the works of the law, but justified by faith, a different justification. So what the law did was that it showed man how sinful he was and it caused man to say, there's gotta be someone who's not like me who can keep this law perfectly and that caused man to look for that someone, for that person and so when the Lord Jesus said I came to fulfill, he was saying, I'm the person. I'm the one that you've been looking for. I am the sinless person who will fulfill the law that you could not fulfill because you're sinful. That's what he's saying here when when I came to fulfill. So by living this life that fulfilled the law, he lived the life that no one else could live. And in that sense, the law was like, again, a promise, was like a prophecy where God said, thou shalt not, and I know that you shall. Because you shall do what thou shalt, I know that thou shalt do what thou shalt not do because I know you are sinful, but I promise you that there is one who is coming who will obey the thou shalt not. So when the Lord Jesus says in verse 17 that he came to fulfill, he's saying that he's a person. He's the person who is described in the Bible in Isaiah 53, 11. Isaiah 53, 11. He is described by God as my righteous servant, my righteous servant. Quite different from God's description of Israel in Isaiah chapter one, who he describes as a sinful nation, a people laden with iniquities. That is the farthest you can imagine as someone who God would say, my righteous servant. But he's the righteous servant, he's the only righteous servant, he's the only person who ever obeyed every aspect of the law. He gave the law as Jehovah Jesus, he defined the law here in the Sermon on the Mount, 
He fulfilled the law in his life. The only person who perfectly obeyed the law as a man, as a man. So when we think of the Old Testament, it's good to think of the Old Testament as like shadows that are being cast. You know, the ordinances, the laws, the feasts, and so forth, shadows. And then the Lord, as he's stepping out now, he's proving that he is the unseen one. He was the unseen one that cast the shadows that make up what we know as the Old Testament. The Old Testament, it described the Lord Jesus by the examples. And when the Lord Jesus came, then the examples, they gave way to the real person. The examples gave way to the real person they were describing, not canceling, not destroying, they just gave way, but they still serve. They still serve today. The Old Testament still serves to describe the Lord Jesus. For example, in, in Hebrews 9.8, Hebrews 9.8 is talking about the tabernacle, which is full of examples and, 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 and shadows and types and symbols of the Lord Jesus. But here it is in Hebrews 9.8 talking about the tabernacle, and it says there, Hebrews 9.8, the Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all, where God was, the Holy of Holies, was not yet made manifest while as the first tabernacle was standing, which was a figure, the tabernacle, which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks, dietary, and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. It's a very important word. Until the time of reformation. But Christ, being come an high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. So this ver these verses in Hebrews 9, 8 through 12, Hebrews 9, 8 through 12, are really describing a transition, if you want to think about that, but the word that's used is reformation. Not a cancellation, but a reformation. Because the Greek word reformation does not mean destruction, as in destruction of the Old Testament. The Greek word is diorthesis, diorthesis, which is made up of two words, diorthesis, which is the first word is like dia, dia, which means to go ahead, go through. And orthesis, orthesis means straight, means straight. So when the Lord Jesus came, we go straight to the person of the Old Testament that the Old Testament describing. We still have a value in the Old Testament as describing who the Lord Jesus is. For example, you take the point of the dietary laws, you know, the not eating, for example, pork, which... <laughs> I can't help but tell you this joke. <laughs> All right, so I was at a um, men's prayer breakfast for a, a group of uh, Christian Missionary Alliance churches, CMA churches in Mifflinburg, Pennsylvania. Mifflinburg, Pennsylvania, which is very close to Penn State, which has a big football, they have a stadium for 100,000 people for football, 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 okay, anyway. So I was there and I was the speaker at the men's prayer breakfast where they rented this, a restaurant, or, you know, buffet, like a hometown buffet, but it wasn't one. But anyway, and, and they had a thousand people that came there. And so I was a speaker. But before I spoke, one of the guys 
was going to give his testimony, and he was the big, burly, you know, uh, linebacker for the, for the Penn State football team. So we're both standing in line. He's in front of me, and I'm following him. You know, I'm like a midget. And um, he loads up his plate with a mound of bacon. I couldn't believe it. And, and so I sat down, and then, you know, it's time for me to speak, and I, I got up and I said, you know, I said, um, I asked myself the question, why am I here? Why is a Jewish boy here in Mifflinburg, Pennsylvania, speaking at a men's prayer breakfast for Christian Missionary Alliance churches? I said, I asked myself the question, why am I as a Jewish boy here speaking to you now? And I said, the answer is because you have something that I wanted. <laughs> bacon. <laughs> I said bacon. <laughs> uh, I don't know why I even tell that joke anyways. It's funny. All right, so the dietary laws, for example, not eating bacon, pork, uh, you know, but that was only to use pork as an example of the world. And to not eat pork was just to show how important it is to be separate from the world or how the Lord Jesus was not of this world. And there's nothing wrong, there's nothing sinful about eating pork today. But we still love to read how, how in the Old Testament you couldn't eat pork because they were looking at the one who was separate from the world. So today we eat pork, but we still love to read how pork was forbidden as a teaching tool of how the Lord Jesus was separate from the world. But now that he's come, we don't see him by the practice of us not eating pork, we go diorthesis, we go straight to him. When we open the New Testament, we go diorthesis, straight to him. It reminds me, of, again, of an Israeli guest that we had down in Loretto. I told him, invite him for dinner, have him for dinner. And I told him, I said, you know, at dinner, we're gonna eat clams that, we, that were caught on this beach here, and uh, the clams are gonna be cooked with butter and chipotle and cheese. And then he said, well, we Israelis don't eat clams. I knew that was why, because in the Old Testament, it's a prohibition of eating shellfish, you know, just like, you know, like clams. So I told him, I said, well, that's okay. I'll serve you some smoked yellowtail instead of the clams, but we're going to eat clams. And then, and then he said, well, he would like to try a clam. <laughs> I guess because he was in Mexico, so far from Israel, you know, nobody else, there were Jewish around there. He ate 20 clams. <laughs> he practically cleaned them out. <laughs> now, there's nothing wrong with eating clams, but God had a purpose for prohibiting the eating of clams in the Old Testament. Again, it was to teach the people, you are to be separate from the world, and the one who's gonna come that's gonna fulfill this law is gonna be perfectly separated from the world. So the word fulfilled, it has the meaning of achieved or accomplished. And so it views the Old Testament as a series of, of promises. The Old Testament is just one grand prophecy about the Lord Jesus, which he said in John 5.39, John 5.39, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have life, they are they which testify of me, he said. The whole of the Old Testament is a big prophecy about him, description of him, the blueprint of who he is. So the word fulfill was very important in his life. He was consciously aware in his life that he's fulfilling scripture. 
like the time when he was handed the scripture to read in the synagogue in Luke 4.16, Luke 4.16, and it says he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for it to read. There was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. When he opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, he gave it again to the minister and sat down in the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him and he began to say unto them, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. He knew he was fulfilling or accomplishing the scripture when he read that portion. The greatest fulfill, the greatest accomplishment, the greatest completion of the prophecy came when he accomplished, when he fulfilled God's redemption promise on the cross. And then he cries out, accomplished, or as it is in our Bible, finished in John 19.30. John 19.30, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished, it is accomplished, it is fulfilled, in other words. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. So he's starting his ministry here where we are, in verse 17, and he says, I've come to fulfill, I've come to accomplish. And at the end of his ministry, his last words before he dies in John 19.30 is fulfilled, fulfilled. Now, just to make very clear that he has not come to destroy any of the law, he says in verse 18, verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise passing the law till all be fulfilled. Now our Bible says jot, the Hebrew word is yod, yod, yod. Kind of similar to jot, but it's, anyways, it's yod. Yod is like if you were to look at a, a quotation mark and just take one of those little things on the quotation mark, you know, you know just take that, right? That's the, what the yod looks like, sort of. And the tittle is actually smaller than a yod, there's a little extension that you make, like that you complete the eve of the roof on the Hebrew letter resh, the R, the resh. So if you just want to make a little eve over here, just a little tiny eve on that way, that changes the whole letter to a D, the dalet. So the resh goes to a dalet with that little, little tiny extension at the top, and that's called the tittle. That's called the tittle. And so that information should greatly enrich your lives. <laughs> so further emphasize the, the warning here, he tells them that there's not going to be any of those things that are changed. And then he proceeds to, to warn them against breaking of any of the commandments. And now he moves into saying, uh, verse 19, whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever you're doing teach shall be called great. So now He's moving, you know, just think of this like moving the Sherman tanks into position here. When he gets, this, gets to this area, shall teach men so. Because now he's setting his sights, his cannon sights at the Pharisees. And he moves into taking a shot at the scribes and the Pharisees. In the next verse, in verse 20, when he says, I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into heaven. Forget about 
getting into heaven unless your righteousness goes beyond theirs. And here he starts with this phrase, I say unto you. So again, he's starting to use a phrase he's gonna use more and more as the battle lines are drawn here with, the, with him and the scribes and the Pharisees. He's saying, when he says, I say unto you, he's saying, I am not part of the Pharisees, of the Pharisees, the scribes of their system. I'm not part of their religious system. I'm not part of the system of the, the power uh, seat in Jerusalem. And because um, he knows that the power seat in Jerusalem is gonna condemn them to death, they're gonna kill them. But the fight is on for the souls of men. And this is very important. There's a chapter in the Old Testament that's very important in this regard, really, for the whole of the, Old, for the, whole of the New Testament, for all the life of the Lord. It's Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34 is a description of the fight that is on now and that is starting up here. Ezekiel 34 is very, very important. Because Ezekiel 34 draws the lines, the battle lines in verse one, Ezekiel 34, one. The word of the Lord came unto me saying, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy, say unto them, thus saith the Lord unto the shepherds, woe be to the shepherds of Israel that do feed themselves, should not the shepherds feed the flocks. Eat the fat, you clothe you with the wool, you kill them that are fed, and you feed not the flock. The diseased have you not strengthened, neither have you healed that which was sick, neither have you bound up that which was broken, neither have you brought again that which was driven away, neither have you sought that which was lost. But with force and with cruelty have you ruled them. And they were scattered, scattered because there's no shepherd, they became meat to all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and upon every high hill. My flock was scattered upon all the face of the earth, and none did search or seek after them. Therefore, ye shepherds, hear the word of the Lord as I live, saith the Lord God, surely because my flock became a prey. My flock became meat to every beast of the field because there was no shepherd. Neither did my shepherds search for my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves and fed not my flock. Therefore, ye shepherds, hear the word of the Lord, Thus saith the Lord God, I am against the shepherds and I will require my flock at their hands and cause them to cease from feeding my flock. Neither shall the shepherds feed themselves anymore. For I will deliver my flock from their mouth and they may not be meat for them. For thus saith the Lord God, behold, I, even I, will both search my sheep and seek them out as a shepherd seeketh out his flock in the day that he is among his sheep that are scattered. So will I seek out my sheep and will deliver them that of all the places where they've been scattered in the cloudy and dark day. Then he goes on in verse 15, Ezekiel 34, 15, he goes on. I will feed my flock. I will cause them to lie down, saith the Lord God. I will seek that which was lost. Bring it again, that which was driven away, and will bind up that which was broken, strengthen that which is sick. I will destroy the fat and strong. I will feed them with judgment. And he finishes up this chapter in verse 30 and 31, Verse 30 and 31, thus shall they know that I, the Lord God, am with them, and that they, even the house of Israel, are my people, saith the Lord God, and ye my flock and the flock of my pasture are men, and I am the Lord your God. So when he makes these statements, like in verse 22, Ezekiel 34, 22, he says, I will save my flock. And when he says that, that in verse 30, 
Ezekiel 34, 30, that the house of Israel are my people, 31, my flock. This is a fight that's described here in Ezekiel 34. This is a fight that he's moving into in Matthew 5. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 